Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode of this show where, where today, Cody, there's just so many things going on in basketball, and we were talking right before recording. There's so many things going on in the NBA, not just off the crazy off-the-court stuff, but on the court this season, a ton of exciting basketball, a ton of beautiful X's and O's and coaching and the shot quality and the offensive efficiency is off the charts. Uh, There's a lot happening that I want to, hopefully we can touch on some of it with surprise teams today and things like that. But there's so much happening that I didn't even realize Kawhi Leonard hasn't played basketball in like, he's played 42 minutes this year. I genuinely did not realize he's only played 42 minutes. Yeah, he like, the picture surfaced during the summer where it's like, all right, this dude clearly has been squatting in his in his off time here. He played, I think, a game. Did he play, did he even play two games? Because I think it's been ten straight games he's been sitting. Two and games, two, two games. He did play two minutes. games. Okay, yeah. and the the legend of Kawhi just continues, where we can just be like, the Clippers are championship favorites if they're healthy, and here we are again. You sound you sound skeptical. I, I'm beyond whatever is beyond skeptical. Like that's where I I'm out. I'm just I'm out on them. Like at this point, I, I just need to see it happen. Right. I can't keep waiting for the playoffs and then have my heart broken year after year. Right. I learn these things and it it just hurts. I want them to be really good. I like watching Kawhi Leonard, but I'm not. I'm still not. Do you think this is the key to a great reputation? You just give give the people a taste. Just play a little bit. Play a little bit in 2017, roll an ankle, play a little in 2019, win a title, play just a little bit more. And, you know, as long as you're not playing, you still have that ideal, that that embodiment of a great... Is that the secret? Just don't play? Yeah, I think it's like a the Jonathan Isaac syndrome, where, like, if you play... <laughs> And you're really good at something, right? But then you just, like, play in little spurts. Everyone just, like, keeps grasping on to, like, when you were at your peak. Like, everyone is just, like, 2019 Kawhi when he's back to that. But it's like, that's that, that was last decade, right? That was last decade at this point. I know, three years, whatever. Get, just, just get off me for this, right? But it, I, I don't know. I think that's what happens is when you're playing at a really high level, and then, like you said, you just kind of give these little bursts, people kind of still, like, stick to being, like, the last time you were fully healthy is actually what you'll be at when you come back. Now, wait a second. Jonathan Isaac still plays basketball? I'm not sure. Did he play in the bubble? Is that the last time he played? I'm literally Googling right now Jonathan Isaac, and the first Google recommendation is, will Jonathan Isaac ever play basketball again? <laughs> the second one is, how long is Jonathan Isaac out for? And the fourth one is, does Jonathan Isaac still play basketball? This, this says he might come back. He might come. I don't know how to feel about this because we got the Orlando Magic. They're my team right now. Uh, I, I don't know. That's that feels disruptive. Yeah, it's the, it's the on paper thing. Like it's the conversation we've been having about the Nets. It's the conversation we've had about the Clippers. It's the conversation with like, hey, when the Magic are actualized with Jonathan Isaac out there, they're going to be even so much better than we're giving them credit. But like. I, I got to see you play. It's the same way. Like people are talking about, um, you know, we were talking about some players in the 2020 draft, right? And, you know, people are really high on LaMelo Ball. But again, I need to see you play. Like there, there's a difference between how you were last year and this year. And I think those changes, like I, I need to see those changes in how they've they've gone about because you don't just like stay as good as you were the year before, right? Players are always making changes for the better, for the worse. They might be a little dinged up or whatever else. I need to see it, Ben. I just need to see it. Cody, if you were redrafting the 2020 draft today, 
you had to you had to make a big board, okay, of the best players available from the 2020 draft. Who who would you take first? All right, so I'm I'm just I'm going to look through it right now just to refresh some people's memory. I'm going to say some names, say some names of people that were drafted this draft 2020, right? So we have Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Lamelo Ball, Patrick Williams, Tyrese Halliburton, Devin Vassell, Cole Anthony, Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain. I'm not going to read more names. Those are some like main ones I'm looking at. Well, you left out Josh Green. Josh, Josh, Josh Green. <laughs> you, le- you left out. You left out Okongwu. Yeah, I, I can't read them. All. You, I'm not just going to sit here and read the entire like first round. I said the names. I think that's that, what people want. I want us to read the entire draft. <laughs> no, seriously, who would you? This is this is what made me think of this is because we're talking about players who don't play, and this kind of thing came up in in one of our thinking basketball discussions this week, and some other members of our team were were like, yeah, clearly it's Lamelo Ball, but. You know he's not playing right now, and and there is a guy who's playing right now who I think is playing clearly. I mean, boy, if he holds it up, I'm going to say pretty clearly higher than a level that we've ever seen Lamelo Ball touch in his entire career, and that's Tyrese Halliburton of my Indiana Pacers. See, I think this is really interesting because if you had asked me this at the end of last year, I do think that Anthony Edwards would have had a really interesting conversation. But the way that the Timberwolves have started, and specifically the way that he's looked this year, I'm I'm not so sure. But Tyrese Halliburton, like, I, this dude, I think the part that, like, jumped out to me is the way that he's able to create so many shots, so many efficient shots for his teammates. And there's not a lot of creation juice, right? Obviously, like, Matherin has exploded on the, sc- on the scene. We can talk about him in a second. But beyond that, there's not a lot of, like dribble drive creation juice and Halliburton's like taken a lot of that and done a really fantastic job of just like you know skip passes driving in and dumping it off doing like the the offense gets bogged down we'll give it to Halliburton make him create something out of it I, I think Halliburton really has a good case for being the number one pick in a redraft yeah that's that's how I've now you could take into account long term you know, if you think guys are going to pass him, if you like Desmond Bain's trajectory or LaMelo or something, because LaMelo is still pretty young, which is crazy. He just turned 21 years old. Uh, but but Halliburton is not that old himself when you when you uh, stack him up next to, you know, a regular NBA career. He's only 22 and change. I think he's going to be 23 in a couple months in the season. And to your point, he's almost like a he's almost like a tall kind of bizarro Steph Curry role right like just the amount of threes he shoots the accuracy with which he's shooting them he has that kind of like funky quick release that he's kind of uh adjusted to or developed over over the you know course of his development and then the passing he's always been a really good passer going back to uh even like his high school days when he played uh, team USA stuff I was able to tune into some of those games and I remember texting my draft Knicks and being like, who, who is this guy? He's like, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton can pass. And he's kind of packaged that together at the start of this year. And he's playing like one of the better offensive players in the NBA. I don't know how sustainable that is when you stack it up next to Jokic and Curry and Luka Doncic and uh, even guys like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, John Morant, Giannis, Kevin Durant, John Morant, Kevin Durant. Yeah, I got that right. In my head, I sounded like I switched them. They're so similar. Um, so I don't know if he'll end up remaining in that class. But I think 
the, to the point of what we're saying, like even being a level behind that, that's a really, really good key offensive player for the Pacers. And the Pacers are actually playing when you look at sort of uh, strength of schedule, margin of victory, you take into account some opponent luck adjusted numbers. The Pacers are playing really well. They're playing like a 50 win team right now. And I think a lot of it is because of him. A lot of it is because of him. I think something else that they do that we've kind of referenced uh, when talking about the Jazz in previous episodes is they can throw out some of these lineups like, uh, let's say, even without Matherin out there. Uh, Halliburton, Heald, Rookie Nembhart, Jalen Smith, Miles Turner. All of a sudden, you got five guys that can space the floor pretty effectively. And you don't have guys that are necessarily like slinging it around and doing like this beautiful game thing. But you're just like putting pressure and pull like pulling pressure I almost want to say because you're pulling the defense in so many different ways that when you have a lot of these actions going on you're scrambling the defense a lot and it feels like Halliburton is really good at handling like these kind of scrambles he's really good at getting into the defense when they're like all over the place and him making a read out of that and I I would love to see him with like if Matherin develops even more if he keeps on this trajectory of like these first 10, 12 games as a rookie, I would love to see him be next to Halliburton because I still think Halliburton probably needs like another 1A, 1B type of guy next to him. Because right now, like they were playing against the Pelicans the other day. And as soon as he went to the bench, the Pelicans are like, all right, we're zoning up because I don't think you can get past us without Halliburton. Like teams just know it. It's like if you don't have Halliburton on the court, I don't know where the creation is coming from. So you can have this five out thing. And he's kind of, like I said, just really handling this this creation load. Yeah, I feel like you want like Chris Duarte to be able to do something like that with second units and TJ McConnell. These guys have never really had enough juice to do it, but Tyrese certainly has now a bigger question going forward for the Pacers. They're six and six as we record this, but when you look at their margin of victory, their opponent quality, all that, they they look like a better team than a 500 team, but the defense is a concern. You look at their top lineups, you look at their starting lineups, like they have been outscored with Halliburton on the floor, with Buddy Heald on the floor. They're about even. Really cool, though. Really cool, kind of spunky, fun team that's probably a little bit more exciting than, I want to say, like, than your father's Pacers, but that's not right. It's like, it's like, than your older brothers, than your older brothers, Indiana Pacers. This is a slightly more exciting version with Halliburton. I just like the Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Ben Matherin combination that they can throw out there. And those guys, along with Miles Turner, they have four players, Cody, averaging over 20 points per 75 uh, on positive, not just positive efficiency. They're all really positive because they're they're shooting the cover off the ball right now, uh, like 43 guys at like 40% from downtown. So this will all regress a little bit, I assume, but definitely a team that is a little bit spunkier than I expected. I'm trying to figure out I, I don't know which Pacers team you're talking about with your older brother. Like, how many years are we talking? Is this the Danny Granger, Jermaine O'Neal Pacers? Or are you talking like young Paul George, Roy Hibbert Pacers? I, I don't know what age you're talking about here. I literally meant like two or three years ago. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like like a short younger brother. Not not short, but like a short-range <laughs> younger brother. Not like a 15 years older younger brother. Yeah, like like it's 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 a different Pacers team than what we saw like three seasons ago. That's that's all I meant. Isn't okay. that your older brother? Uh, see, I, I'm one of those that like my two older brothers are like a decade and 14 years older. So immediately and I'm like, oh, Danny Granger. That's who he's talking about. Yeah, but but the, the two like the 2020 Pacers, for instance, were led by Damanis Sabonis, mm. TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon. Miles Turner's the only guy still there. Jeremy Lamb, Victor Oladipo. 
Aaron Holiday. It's just a completely different group. And of course, now, you know, Rick Carlisle is there. So it's a little different. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Who, who else? There's a couple other teams that I think are playing sort of better than their record indicates or or you know that they that we would think based on their record who 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 else kind of jumps out to you well i think you know looking at some of these luck adjusted numbers that you have like the win pace that that teams are actually playing with and not their actual record i think brooklyn really stands out to me because you know people got their jokes off early they started off pretty weak but by your luck adjusted win pace here you have met 54 win pace is that right? Do you want to unpack that a little bit more? Well, this is kind of the opposite of what happened last year with the Nets. That last year, the Nets, uh, their record was good, but their opponent shot quality was really good, and teams were missing open shots. And this year, it's kind of the opposite. This year, they're actually running bad in terms of other teams getting lucky and making a lot of open shots, and that typically regresses close to league average as you move through the season. So we kind of expect the Nets' defense to be a, a little bit better than what it is. And the next, the Nets defense has actually been kind of decent, right? It's around league average as it is. And we know if you're the Nets and you've got Kyrie Irving, excuse me, you got Kevin Durant. We don't know if they have Kyrie Irving. Um, you have, you have Kevin Durant and you have some other shooters around them. You've got Joe Harris, you know, Seth Curry, theoretically, Patty Mills, that kind of is enough to have a decent offense. And then the question becomes like, well, if we're slightly above average on defense and we're above average on offense, how good is our offense? And if our offense is like, let's say top 10, top eight offense, that would be the hallmark of a team that typically wins around 50 games or something. And to your point, that's a lot better than the way it feels around the Nets franchise. I just I really have a lot of questions still about this team like Kevin Durant he's all of a sudden averaging over two blocks a game like just you know getting his hands everywhere getting his hands on a lot of balls out there uh Claxton like you know someone in uh in the thinking basketball intelligentsia is comparing him to Kevin Garnett at times and you know like he has some great moments defensively whenever I watch the Nets I think that that uh, Nick Claxton really does stand out with his motor. He's a really high motor player. He's really good with rotations. He can switch out. He can protect the rim a, bit, a little bit, but he's probably a little bit overtasked defensively with them. But again, if Kevin Durant's blocking shots like that, but I think like the main question I still have with them is like, I, I don't know where they should actually land because with, with Kyrie Irving, they weren't necessarily a great team. And all of a sudden Kyrie Irving's out 
and they're performing a lot better, despite Kyrie being, you know, one of the best isolation scorers in the game. I think he has one of the best, like, points per possession when you look at ISOs so far in the league. I don't know if he's top five, top three, but he's right near the top. Um, Kevin Durant's just, you know, he's he's put forth 25 points every single game this season. I think it's the first time that's happened in these first 13 games since, like, uh, Michael Jordan in the 80s. So Kevin Durant's on, on a bender, but, like, I don't know how good they actually are. Like, are they... Are they actually this much better without Kyrie? If Kyrie comes back, are they going to be that good again? That's my main question still about them. Yeah, I don't know. I do know, though, that you're the first person to ever say out loud Nick Claxton and Kevin Garnett <laughs> in, in the same sentence as a defensive comparison. Um, I quoted, quoting someone else. Don't, don't come at me, people. I'm not making that comparison. I'm saying that, that a, a, a close Nets friend has made... Uh, that comparison. I yes, but you that. have to take responsibility for taking that and rebroadcasting it in this age of misinformation. <laughs> you have you have set that you have set that into motion. Um, I don't know. Do you want? Do you have anything else to say about the Nets? I don't know. I don't want to get stuck on the Nets. Yeah. No. I I just need to see him when Kyrie comes back. If they're able to sustain this this level of play right now when Kyrie comes back, then I'll start believing it. But there's there's just a little bit too much volatility going on for me to believe anything. Yeah, I mean they're six and seven, and it's more like they're six and seven. But as things go forward long term, you expect them to be better than six and seven. And then, you know, if depending on how well Kyrie is playing, what does that do for their ceiling? I I, st- I still am not super optimistic uh, about them, but I do think they're better than kind of it feels at this point in time. Who who else? Who else is who else is jumping out to you as a team? playing better than their record. So one team that doesn't necessarily come up like top when you when you look through these luck adjusted numbers, but I still like when I watch them, I'm like this is still a team that can really go. Like especially when they have their starters out there. Uh Golden State Warriors coming in at uh, you know, 5 wins, 7 losses. They don't feel like that to me. Do you feel the same way about them? Yeah, they're they're weird because all their indicators make them look like a pretty poor team right now. They've played 12 games. And they haven't played very well in those 12 games. They're, of course, 3-7. and seven, And then to get the last two wins kind of felt like Herculean Steph Curry efforts down the stretch of those games. Steph Curry, by the way, uh, you know, he's, he started the year 33 points per 75, plus 13% true shooting. He is near the top of the league once again in scoring volume and scoring efficiency, the three-point shot seems to be back. And I think the most intriguing thing about the Warriors is you've got this championship pedigree. So it's understandable not to take where they are sort of on the surface. But I mentioned this on the Thinking NBA uh, Twitter spaces this week, the the live Twitter spaces we're, we're doing with NBA head coaches this season. We had Terry Stotts on. You can check that episode out on the NBA handle. One of the things that came up, Cody was this idea that the defense last season to start the year drove the Warriors win percentage. I mean, they started like 18 and two. They were, you know, 25 and five. or They just had a great record 
in the first couple months when they were healthy, and then Draymond Green missed a bunch of time, and the defense regressed. But you know they still finished in the 50s. They were in a great position because of that defense, that historically good defense. And we did a video on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel detailing how great that defense was and what gave them an edge. Fast forward a year, and we can talk about effort. We can talk about luck adjustment. We can talk about James Wiseman and these young guys playing more minutes, and that's certainly a part of what's happening, maybe some experimentation. But their defense right now is at the bottom of the league. They were 26th or 27th the last time I checked. We can pull it up in a second. But last season, they were first by a mile. And so you go from like eight points ahead of the league to four points behind the league. That's 12 points per game. That's the difference. That is literally the difference between like a 55 or 60 win team and a 25 win team. And I think that's why we're seeing the Warriors struggle, not just in wins and losses where they started three and seven, but all the indicators don't look good either. It's because when you look at what's happening, the defensive efficiencies are, uh, are not good. And, you know, my first thought when it comes to the Warriors is like, you know, mentioned it before. They don't have Otto Porter Jr. anymore. They don't have they don't have Gary Payton Jr., right? These guys that could still go out there and like play defense. And they're trying to work in some of these younger guys, the the Kamingas, Moody, Wiseman. But all of a sudden, like some of those guys are even losing their roles. Like they they brought in like two-way guys, like this Lamb guy that's coming in. I, I don't necessarily know if he's a two-way guy, but they're bringing in some of these two-way guys who are getting some more minutes. And they just feel like they're kind of like an identity crisis for who's going to be coming off the bench. But I also don't want to blame their bench and some of these players on everything. So I, I don't necessarily know what's going on. I don't know if it's somewhat of a malaise that's like, all right, you know, we proved again that we can win the championship and, you know, we're going to start off just a little bit slow. We're not going to have that same fire because, you know, we had our dynasty, we came back, proved we could do it. And now we can kind of ramp up a little bit to the playoffs. So to me, that's the best explanation for what be, could be going on. Um, Clay Thompson maybe looks a step slower, but that shouldn't contribute to, you know, a 12 point swing on defense. What do you think is going on defensively? Well, Clay, Clay is playing. Clay was not part of this last season. Mm-hmm. And even though you think like, well, there's Clay versus Jordan Poole, I would assume Clay is a better defender than Jordan Poole. They're very different defenders. And in Jordan Poole's minutes last season, one of the things he did well, especially in the first half of the year, was buy into the scheme off ball and have some awareness about where he needed to be, what was happening, early rotations, some communication. And he made some decent defensive plays away from the basketball as the Warriors had built this beautiful ecosystem, this fantastic net on defense, mixing zones and box and ones and kind of overloading the floor and using these hybrid concepts that we've talked about before. Those aren't Clay's strengths. So, you know, it's almost... One thing where it's like maybe when Draymond's effort isn't there, when James Wiseman's getting more minutes, when you have more rookies, maybe actually you do get a downgrade right now with Clay Thompson eating up those minutes. The other big thing, though, Cody, is I think the bench guys like Gary Payton, the second, he looked incredible in defensive metrics last season in that system. And to me, it was his ability to play different roles, the versatility that he brought to the team, right? Otto Porter Jr., um, a veteran, defensive, kind of versatile guy that you could play as a small ball five without getting crushed defensively. So, you know, maybe Dante DiVincenzo helps when he can come back. 
you know, your old friend from Milwaukee. Maybe maybe he gives them a little bit more. But for Golden State, I'm looking to at least see an indicator that in the regular season, they can have an above average defense. Uh, there is historical precedent for championship teams and veteran teams turning it on defensively in the playoffs. I have no issue with people watching the film and thinking that's what's going to happen. That may very well happen. But I do want to at least see you show that you can be a decent regular season defense so we can get to a high level in the playoffs versus like, hey, Golden State won 48 games this year because they had the 24th defense in the league. That would actually concern me. So I think what's interesting is if you if you look up the lineups, and I know it's it's a sin to compare lineup data to team level data, but this is at least like pointing us in the right direction here. But if you look at the lineups that have both Draymond and Looney together, they've played about 166 minutes together. Their defense is about, you know, 109 points. 109.3 something like that which would land you maybe like flirting with the top five defenses in the league at the moment furthermore they're like a plus 23 when those two are on so i think like that kind of gives credence to the fact that's like if we play our guys we can still play at this really high level and i think when you get to the playoffs that matters more because you can you can really lean in and make your guys or have your guys play a lot more minutes and not rely on some of these these bench guys. Obviously, you don't want to go in with like a seven-man rotation because the playoffs also are just a long second season. But I do think that's a really interesting indicator that's like if we fall back on Draymond and Looney, these two guys that have kind of been cornerstones the last couple of years, Looney especially developing, um, I think that at least shows a good indicator that they they can ramp it up. And even in the regular season, they can show some of that same level. Can we do the thing where we look at the team with Curry and then James Wiseman? Because this, this has been, this goes back a couple years to the first season after the bubble where Curry came back after missing the year, had that blazing season, and it was almost like a tale of two Warriors teams where if you didn't notice the massive difference between the Wiseman minutes and the non-Wiseman minutes, you might not have been in position to see how good they could be last year in their championship season. And, you know, again, small sample, and I don't want it to feel like piling on Wiseman, who's a young developing player, but they are giving him minutes. And and so just to be clear about how big the splits are, with Curry on the floor and Wiseman off the floor, that's 320 minutes, the Warriors are plus 12 in net rating. Hmm. They have a 124 offensive rating, which is way above league average, and they have a 111 and change defensive rating, which is close to league average or maybe a little bit better than league average. Kind of that number I was saying I want to see them flirt with earlier. And when you do the same thing with Draymond, if you say like Draymond and Curry with Wiseman off, it's the same thing. They're like plus 12. The issue is when you have Wiseman share the court, I mean, even in just 65 minutes this season, they're minus 21. So, you know, there is, I think there is some credence to the idea that if they could just shore up the bench a little bit and maybe not play all these rookies so much, maybe play one of them, find one of them that works and uh, get some healthier minutes from DiVincenzo, then things wouldn't be quite as bad as they look. Yeah, and when we think about Wiseman, like, what he played did he even crack 40 games his his first season like he's still almost effectively a rookie if we're looking at the number of games he's played right and so yeah i mean we when you're early in the season you got to experiment right we've talked about this before i want teams to experiment to figure out what works you have players let's see which ones work so again i think this is why i'm not too concerned either a 
because of the the Warriors' actual record and B, what some of the numbers are pointing to, because they are experimenting. They're trying to figure out who their bench lineup's going to be. They're probably going to figure out if they need to make any kinds of trades to, you know, fix any sorts of holes. But I do think with Wiseman, like... Maybe Looney's a really underappreciated defender. Not even maybe. I think Looney probably, not probably, let me say it definitively, Ben. Looney is an underappreciated defender. I think he's a flexible guy. He can get out on the perimeter. He can go down in the paint. I don't see that kind of flexibility from Wiseman. And I think when he's out there, they sort of need to adjust the way that they play defense, which again, it's fine. We're experimenting, but we're going to see if that, if they can, if they can, I guess, develop him in a way that works with their other guys before the playoffs. And if not, Maybe we see him fall out of the rotation by the time we get there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, let me give you a couple other teams. The Raptors are 7-7. Seven and seven. They look like they're playing closer to a 50-win pace. The Heat are 6-7. and seven. Similar kind of pace. Miami's had really bad uh, opponent three-point shooting luck so far, so that is one thing that has possibly cost them a couple games. Um, but then on the flip side, you have a team like the Clippers. The Clippers are 7-6, and six, Cody, but... They look like they're playing closer to like a 25-win pace. They've had some really good shooting luck, and they've had weak competition, and their margin of victories have been small. And, and I mean, are you you're, – you sold Kawhi, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> done with Kawhi. On, I'm done with Kawhi. Uh, what about the rest of the Clippers? I, I honestly don't know. Like, there are times – it feels like Paul George really is, is clicking – I haven't watched a ton of them recently. I watched them a little bit earlier in the season when, you know, there were times where John Wall was showing flashes and I'm like, you know what? If John Wall can come back to this and Paul George can kind of keep up this level, this could be a really good team, but they continue to be like a historically bad offense. Like their defense is pretty solid, right? Zubats is a very good drop defender. He's a big body out there. Paul George is, you know, he's not Pacers Paul George, but he's still a very good defender, very long, strong guy. John Wall is working into form. Um, but I, I legitimately don't understand why their offense is as bad as it is. Do you have any insight on that? No. I, I you know, it's possible that they themselves don't quite have their shot and, and they've, they've had some bad shooting luck in the sense that their shooters are actually better outside jump shooters than what we're seeing early in the season. I mean, that's one place my mind goes. But... Uh, this is it. We talked about this. This this is a team with some slow footedness, and I think they rely on Paul George and Kawhi. At least, at least when you look at them as a championship level team, like what is the concept of the Clippers? How does it work in its ideal state? I think they need 
Kawhi and Paul George to be creating a ton of offense and getting help in creating offense from the supporting cast. And, you know, John Walls had some nice moments coming off the bench playing that role, but Reggie Jackson's really struggled for the level that we've seen Reggie Jackson hit earlier in his career. Um, We have not seen great three-point shooting from guys like Norm Powell, Nick Batum. So I think think in that sense, some one of those things has to improve basically for this team to get better on offense. I think the thing, I mean, I feel like I'm calling water wet. I'm like, they have to make more shots and the creators have to be able to get by people off the dribble and create shots for their teammates. Yeah. But, and and it's confusing. Like you were saying, like, these are some good players. They have good outside shooters. Obviously they'd be better if Kawhi played, but we still need to see it. Uh, The on off numbers with Paul George are, are crazy. Like they still are a positive team when he's out there and he's like a plus 13 on off. Right. So they're really reliant on Paul George. The thing I'm still plus 19. Is it yeah. plus 19? Yeah, it's plus 19 this morning. Okay. Basketball reference I'm looking at right now is saying plus 13. So numbers are, are all over the place, Ben. I don't know what to believe anymore. Uh, you yeah, know what we, else I don't know how to believe or what to believe? I, I'm still not used to how good some of these NBA offenses are. Like, I was looking up the Paul George numbers, and I'm like, oh, when he's on, they have a 110 offensive rating. That's really good. That probably puts him, like, top eight or something like that. No, Ben, that's below league average. 110 <laughs> is a below league average offensive rating at this point. Yeah. Um, they're 29th in offensive efficiency. That means there's only one team in the league worse than them. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? What's so, what's so funny? It's not even like it's close either, Ben. Like the gap between 29 and 30 is, is, is the Grand Canyon. You're saying there's a team out there in 2023 averaging 104 points per 100 possessions. Like it's 2004. This the Los Angeles Lakers. They are eight points worse than league average by far. The distance between the Lakers and the Clippers is the distance between the Clippers and like the 24th or 25th team. It's uh, yeah. If we if you thought the Clippers were struggling, you should, you should wait wait until the other team comes into Staples Center tomorrow night. The Lakers are are two and ten. And uh, I don't even know if we want to talk about this. It's it's not good what's happening there. It feels like when I've watched them, you know, LeBron's numbers are down, but it also doesn't feel like he's trying to be LeBron too much. Like there's a lot of of sets, a lot of plays when they're running, a lot of possessions where he's just kind of in the corner. Maybe he'll get the ball and do something. Maybe he'll try and take a pull up three, come off a screen, take another three, pop out, take a three. Get in transition, take it. There's just lots of threes. It's a lot of like idle, passive kind of offense. It's not the same kind of LeBron style offense I'm used to. And it, I can't tell if it's like a revving up the engine thing. Cause last year, you know, you did it. I think you did a video breakdown showing that like when they went super small, he was attacking the rim like crazy because there was so much space and his end of the year numbers were really impressive. And all of a sudden there's this huge downturn. So I'm like, did he age 10 years in a year or is he like weirdly saving himself for? something Cody let me ask you a question yeah have you ever been 38 (laughs) no no I have not well LeBron's gonna turn 38 next month and uh it's a lot it's a lot to recover 
and put your body through this. And then there's one more question. Have you ever played for the 2022-2023 Los Angeles Lakers? No. No, Ben, I have not. That is a that probably is an even greater psychological challenge than getting up every morning and working on your body so it's an incredible condition. <laughs> so so I think it's all of the above, right? If if I if I had to handicap it, I would probably say LeBron's a little bit older. Last year we got a little bit of fool's gold. You know, part of that video is showing like this is an ideal situation for him because he's playing center and he has a mismatch, and you give up a lot defensively to preserve these things offensively. And of course, because we're so offensive-centric in the way we think about basketball, we're so stats-focused from an offensive perspective, we go, oh, look, LeBron is still very close to LeBron. And it's like, he's been declining. I think even going back to the bubble, the fact that they got three or four months off had to help those guys. And so... It allowed LeBron to play in the bubble at a level that I think is less likely that he would have reached if you had just run the season consecutively out into the playoffs. That was uh, three seasons ago. That was three seasons ago. That was the 2020 season. We're in the 2023 season. So I think it's age. And then I think it's the challenge of, I mean, would you give your, would, would you go all out in a situation where it's it's even hard. It, first of all, he's not in a in a. I'm turning into Charles Barkley. That's my third. First of all, uh, for, first of all, LeBron can't shoot. First of all, um, he's in a situation where the floor isn't as ideal as it was last year. Like you said, he's got to go stand in the quarter. He's got to play more minutes with non-shooters. He's got to play with Westbrook and Davis and things like that. And then the psychological element of like, how do you? get up and go all out in November. What's the purpose of, of going all out in November for a team that's two and 10 and like legitimately, I know there's a lot of schadenfreude in the basketball world as a fan. I do like when a lot of the big franchises are successful and things. I think it's pretty fun to have games in Madison square garden and Staples center and things like that. But how do you get up when your team is two and 10 and doesn't look like they're capable of even winning 30 games? That feels like the like great undiscovered area where analytics and stats and things could go is trying to figure out and like get deeper into the psychology of things because I think it's it's so hard when we're talking about some of these teams you know we're talking about the Lakers we talked about the Nets we talked no we could talk about a few different teams this way where you can point to the psychology of it you can point to the inner lives of some of these players and be like I think there's something else going on that's affecting this a lot. But all you can do is play armchair psychologist. Like, there's nothing you can, like, point to data-wise and be like, this proves X, Y, and Z sort of thing. And so, like, that that's what I'm thinking about here is there is something. There's, like, this, this, this glob of dark matter I'm pointing to, and I'm like, I don't understand this. I can't get to the heart of it, but I know it's there, and I know it's impacting in some way. And like I said, I don't know if I should give more to... Uh, if I should listen more to that about LeBron or if I should listen more to the fact that, like, he's going to be 38, like you said. Well, you you can just also see it in his game and his movement patterns. And then perhaps the most interesting part, if you were to say, well, what does it look like if he's on a better team or if he's on a contender? What happens when he goes back and signs with our Cavs? Um, you know, the three-point shooting. He's only at like, what, 20-something percent right now from downtown. And he's really worked on his shot over the years to be a passable three-point shooter. And, you know, the way he plays, being able to make threes at 35 or 36% at some volume mixed in with his driving game, transition, pick and roll stuff, like 
that that's pretty important for his on-ball wizardry, and he's struggling there right now. So is that related to age, fatigue, recovery, uh, and to some degree psychological focus, or is that is that just um, you know a slump and he'll be fine? And then we won't really be talking about how LeBron has declined that much because 38 is the new 33 and the guy is an unbelievable athlete and keeps himself in great shape. And even with the little bit of spacing you have, I think theoretically when they made the uh, the trade for Anthony Davis, the idea, which we actually saw in the bubble, was like, hey, if Anthony Davis is going to be shooting like we know he can kind of shoot at least, this is going to provide enough spacing for LeBron to do his thing. But, you know, Anthony Davis is shooting 21% from 16 feet to the three-point line. He's shooting 25% from three. He's shooting 34% from 10 to 16 feet. This is a guy that, like, when you look at those percentages and you map out, like, points per possession, if he's not within, honestly, like, three feet, he's really hurting your team here. And I, I think... I don't know. All of those elements tie together, and it's you can't you can't untangle all of them. It's all like in this big knot that is the the gross offense, the gross historically bad offense that is the Los Angeles Lakers. Cody, I'm disappointed. I I threw a Cleveland Cavalier lob at you. You know, it's the second lob I've thrown. Dave Dufour rejected my Cleveland Cavs lob in the in the uh, season preview that we did that one hurt I thought I even called them our calves instead of my calves and and you you just let it go right over the net and dink its way into the corner of the gym you know what that might be the case but I saw an opportunity where someone was down and I'm like I, I just need to get one more hit in I need I need to take one more swing here because I'm, I'm feeling it so I apologize I was looking out for myself in that moment let's talk about our Cavaliers Ben well I mean we could just talk about them forever they're they're <laughs> They're fantastic. They're playing like arguably the best team in the league. And um, they've had a couple bumpy close losses on the road trip. But they're, they still look very good. They're eight and four. They have some of the best indicators in the in the league right now. Um, you know, we talked about them on our power rankings episode that they're they're near the top of the league. And the sort of question is long term. I You tell me. You, what do you want to say about them? Um, I'm saying I- Maybe some bumpy moments, but also like if Steph Curry just like becomes a nuclear bo- nuclear bomb. Like I don't know if that's a bumpy moment. That's just like you happen to fall in the way of one of the greatest heat check guys, probably the greatest heat check guy of all time. But I also think that was a really interesting matchup where the Warriors were kind of throwing some stuff at the Cavs, right? And I, you know, I sent a clip where I was I was showing this this interesting set that they ran where where Draymond Green's bringing it up and he gets a he gets a double drag right away and then Steph Curry just because of his immense gravity starting on the uh on the left block he comes up and he sets a back screen sets a back screen for Andrew Wiggins and he gets so much immense gravity Draymond Green's such a great passer that Wiggins is able to fly in and this is in clutch time they get a lob. They get an alley-oop in kind of a, in a in a set offense here. And my thought when I saw that is like wow well, the Warriors really respect this team. They're coming out here and they're they're going to show you something they haven't done before. And it felt almost like a like a flex where it's like, yeah, yeah, younglings, like you're good, but also like we're still here. Like we might be struggling overall, but when we've got our guys going and we're rolling, we are still here. And you know, Darius Garland gets caught on that back screen. Warriors try running at the next set. Um, Garland picks up on it quicker, right? They know how to handle it. He gets in the way of Wiggins so they don't get another lob. But you know, I do think that there are some holes that teams can pick at once in a while, and I just want to see this team in the playoffs. So I don't want to rush the season. We're early, but I want to see them when teams can scheme for them. 
I am all about four man pick and roll screening actions. <laughs> Cody, that was a that was a filthy action because you get Curry's gravity as a screener, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got was Dr- Draymond the ball handler? Yeah, he was right. the ball So Draymond's the ball handler, and then you've got Curry screening for the screener. You've got two screens for Draymond. He comes off. I mean, I just let's do let's five. I need five man, five man pick and roll game. That's where we're <laughs> headed in the future. Let's get all five players involved somehow. Um, was that the game that that was the game that Clay Thompson set the most illegalist of illegally screens at the end of the game for Curry's big three? Right. I actually didn't. I, I didn't catch this. How illegal? Oh, how illegal oh, was it, Ben? I believe neither of his feet were off the gra- <laughs> on the ground as he cross-checked Isaac Okoro. It was a great block. It was a great block. Um, Steph Curry Vic was coming coming around the corner, and he needed to turn the corner to to take a three. And Clay uh, Thompson came sprinting out of nowhere and just laid out. Pretty sure it was Isaac Okoro who got laid out, or maybe it was maybe it was uh, maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was Lamar Stevens. I can't remember. It was Okoro mm. or Lamar Stevens. Anyway, well, we'll I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you the play. Okay. After we're done recording, uh, it was it was glorious. But yeah, I I really do like this Cavs team. I think I I hate dwelling on the negatives, Ben. But I I start asking questions. We're all really excited about them. I think they're really fun. Evan Mobley is. Evan Mobley, man, Evan Mobley's great. But the one thing that Evan Mobley can't do, and it's kind of my my bam at a bio criticism, is he's not able to really generate easy shots for himself, right? And no one else really can. Like, Karis LeVert sometimes has moments where it's like, if Karis LeVert is going, they're kind of unstoppable offensively. But if he's not going, and especially if he's on the bench and let's say Okoro's in, it's it's Mitchell, Garland, Okoro, Mobley, and Allen, um, they can run as many, like, whatever is going on the perimeter as much as possible but at the end of the day like if you lock in on garland and mitchell force the other guys to do something from the perimeter i, I kind of think that's the secret to success against them and that's that's where i get hung up when i think about them as like oh am i going to be put them into my into my really really early championship inner circle and uh i, I just want to see that addressed I mean, Evan can't do everything. There has to, he has to be something that he could, he could uh, improve and develop going forward. That would be unfair at his age if he could also just generate easy buckets like he's Giannis or something. But all right, do you have anything else to talk about in the league? I mean, this, it, it's so weird because I feel like there's a million things happening and it's hard to, it's hard to corral them all. And, all, and suddenly it's just going to be like, Christmas and we're just going to be in the we're just going to be in it and everything's going to be obvious everyone's going to be like yes it's obvious that team is good it's obvious that team is bad and it's obvious these are the three MVP candidates that we need to start debating actually now that I say that out loud I'm sure someone's going to start this in the before before like Thanksgiving and get the MVP thing going yeah and you know we're at that point where like I'm finally comfortable looking at some stats. I remember here, there were a couple podcasts. I don't even remember who it was, but someone was like, man, the NBA season, it feels like it's been going on forever. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, I feel like the season has been going on for a week. Like I'm still like learning a bunch of things. Like the stats are starting to just regulate like some of the, the outlier things. I mean, we still have some ridiculous outlier scoring going on right now. There's like, wait, there's too many guys scoring over 30 points per 75. Like a couple people need, we need to tone it back a little <laughs> bit. Um, but some of the guys that were really exploding early on, it's, it's starting to come back to earth. Um, except Trey Young. I, that's a different day. That's another day. But Trey Young's got to no, start making some shots. Save that. He's got to We have to shots. save that for next time. Yeah. That's a that's a teaser for next episode. Yeah. Right. I, sure. What is, 
what is going on with Trey Young shooting? Yeah, that, that's the one thing I'm waiting to see if it it uh, regular regularizes at some point. All right, if you want to uh, check out some more of these stats that Cody's talking about, um, you can head over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball and sign up there it's the best way to support this podcast patreon.com slash thinking basketball we just launched our tentatively we have a soft launch of our new website we're almost kind of done updating it with the things we uh, have added around these leaderboards team stats player stats things like that we have a bunch of additional content as well for patreon subscribers and live q a every month that we do in our discord community and a ton more. As always, thanks for listening to this one. Really hope you're enjoying the wild and fun and crazy NBA season and you're able to probably get a better handle on it than Cody and I are at this point. And uh, wherever you are, I hope you are, of course, having a great, great day. (laughs) 